we actually continue our conversation about humility. Um, we have been on this topic for about two months, and uh, we will continue it a little bit in the new year. I think, whoa, I've had a, an overdose of humility. And the reason that we've hovered so much on this this topic is I believe that it is one of the most intrinsic struggles that we have as humans. Our natural bent, because we are downstream from Adam's uh, failure, <laughs> and because we're downstream from that, and it's very mysterious, I saw someone ask a question recently, how did that happen? Uh, that's way beyond my pay grade. But I can't deny it, and neither can you. All you have to do, I've said it many times, is look at your headlines on the newspaper or on, on the internet or on television. You can understand that we have this bent towards self. And even when you look in the mirror, it is, it is to achieve a pure, uh, perfect level of selflessness is truly impossible as human beings. But we aim for it and we swing for it. And for that reason, we continue this, this conversation about humility. Today, an interesting topic, this, the humility of silence. Now, there are, there are obvious avenues that we can take with this topic and this conversation. But I t- typically like to say, okay, we know that, but let's state it so we can get beyond it. We understand that at times where we want to say something, that we, there are times when we should say something, that we should have courage and boldness to say, hey, I'm going to speak some truth and love as Ephesians 4.15 says. And yet there are other times where we need the humility to hold our tongue. This is uh, held up and supported by many, many scriptures, especially in the book of Proverbs, when to speak and especially when not to. There's wisdom and not speaking all the time. Of course, when you think of Jesus, he was like a, a lamb being led to the slaughter, and he didn't utter a word. And there, there are several uh, scriptures that teach us that and, and indicate to us that in those moments, Christ was exercising humility. But I'm guessing that most of us know that. Most of us understand that concept that when it comes to speaking or not speaking, at times it requires for us some silence and to hold our tongue. I believe that we get that. Now, whether or not we can do it is another question, but at least we understand the concept. There are many times, I'm sure, in your life as well as mine, I'm like, ah, why did I say that? That that was out of place. That was inappropriate. And uh, so we get that. Today, it's a different kind of silence. It's a, it's a sobering silence, I believe, that is attached to humility. It's one of those moments where we we truly are silenced, as as using the word not as a noun but a verb. We're, we're silenced by something that is that is beyond our 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 sense of uh, limits as, as human beings. So when we begin, I'm going to begin by a confession this morning. Uh, I know you always enjoy that. I see pencils always moving when I'm confessing. It comes from a moment of my life where I'm not proud of. I was in middle school and uh, I was in a, a drugstore like Walgreens back in the day. There were mom and pop, uh, mom and pop uh, drugstores. And so I was in there, and uh, I saw this comic book, and I wanted it um, so badly that I stole it. I was a shoplifter. That's part of my resume. 
And uh, the thing about it is that it was not, it, it was, it would be one of those clips on TV where they're showing, you know, stupid criminals and how they do things, you know, like, uh, they, you know, go rob a bank, but I left the keys in the car and locked the door, those kinds of things. Because in, in my act of shoplifting, not only was I shoplifting, but my mom was in the store while I was shoplifting. Brilliant. Don't you think? Just absolutely brilliant. And so I lifted this, this, this uh, comic book and I looked at my mom and I said, Hey mom, I'm going to go wait in the car, you know, just kind of casually, kind of casual criminal talk, you know how it goes. And now I'm going to wait in the car, you know, and on the way out of the, the store, the manager met me at the door and, uh, I turned pale. It was my first shoplifting bust. And, uh, I begged him, I begged him with tears in my eyes, please. And he said, is that your mom in the store? She's over in the cosmetic aisle. Mm-hmm. And said, well, let's go have a talk. And so she brought me over there and, uh, and he brought me over there into the, and we sat in the office and she uttered the words that no boy wants to hear. Wait till your father comes home. <laughs> There's something powerful in knowing that your dad is going to be involved. There's something powerful about the, the, the father figure and impending judgment. And in that moment of impending judgment, you're silenced. There, you know, just at the depth of your being, that there is no reason, there is no uh, uh, purpose there is, uh, the, to say anything. You're silenced in humility by what's going to come. When I look in the scriptures, there are times when we, we're, we're, we're absolutely silenced by a, a reality. It can happen in everyday life, way past shoplifting, by the way. It can happen when, when things unexpectedly happen to us and, and we're like, we think that we have an opinion about things, for example. And opinions are noisy, are they not? They're noisy in our culture. Opinions are, especially the American culture, some cultures of the world that, you know, put a pretty tight clamp on their, on their people, on their population. They're, they're not quite as noisy. But in the American culture, where it's, you know, call 1-800, voice your opinion, uh, everywhere we look, no, uh, it's just there's this noise bank of opinion. And sometimes that noise is going on in our head of our opinions about certain things. We all have them, do we not? Sometimes we're having this conversation. So we're coming off Christmas and New Year's and we'll, we'll hop on the scale and we think, ah, I probably picked up a pound or two. And then we look at the scale and it's like seven or eight. It's in those moments, just those little moments where all the conversations have been going on. I'll probably just, I'll have another cookie. Oh, whatever. It's a bag of Doritos. What kind of that? You know, all the noise of our opinion is absolutely silenced. Not by our, not by a something subjective, but something objective, something absolute. We're no longer, the scale doesn't have an opinion. There, there are no, there are never a day where your scale, like, you know, I don't like you, I'm going to add a few more pounds. It's just, it is what it is. Would you agree? There's sometimes after a, a Christmas holiday, you get the credit card bill. Like, 
whoa, wait a minute, who bought that, right? And it, it comes at you. I just saw a, um, a news article this past week. I, I don't know if this is a normal uh, practice for sports teams, but when there's a rookie, they all the team goes out to dinner with with the uh, with the rookie, and they you know they get whatever they want, and uh, and then whatever the, the team plans to walk and leave the rookie with the bill. It's just kind of, and I was thinking, well, I guess if it happens enough, it all evens out because you get a free meal over the course of being on the same team. But I saw this 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 bill. Um, from the Ravens, this, you know, the team, the Ravens, and this guy named Carl Davis, he's a, a, a rookie, and they took, the team went out to dinner. And uh, at the end, you know, they walked, and Carl got the bill. And this was the bill. $11,561.52. But the good news is that did include the tip. That's pretty awesome. At least that. Okay, do you feel, now you know, now we know what we're feeling, right? You feel it. I could hear it. The, the, the gasp was undeniable. Those are the moments where our jaw drops and we're like, silenced by the absolute, by the scale, by the, by the receipt, by the store manager of what, wow, there's something impending. I believe that in our, the busyness of the noise of our lives, that it is healthy at times to step back and absorb and be silenced by the impending judgment of the Father of this universe. Now, we're going to talk about a couple of different judgments. We're starting heavy, but good news is coming. Watch this. In the book of Revelation... I'll remind you that John, who's the writer of that book, is not predicting the future. He is seeing the future. Big difference. He's not saying, here's what I think is going to happen. He is seeing it as it is happening, as it, as it has already happened in the future, and he's seeing it. It gives me great comfort because I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, it's already happened. In God's mind, it's already happened. So what's going to happen is going to happen because John has already seen it happen when it's going to happen before it happens. I'm not sure I can say that twice. (laughs) There were seals, there were scrolls, there were bowls, there were horsemen in the book of Revelation, and they all represent an, an impending judgment. And when a seal was opened, it often represented something awful. It represented a a war that was going to break out, a sickness, an illness, a plague that's going to break out. In other words, all you know what is going to break loose on earth in the future. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. I love those words, but we're not going to usher in a sense of peace before the end of the world. We're not. All moving parts in their seismic activity are moving toward an impending ending. Happy New Year. See you guys next time. It's awesome, isn't it? There's good news coming. Watch what happens in the in heaven. It's stunning. When the final scroll, the seal is broken and open in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, if today we said, hey, you know what? 
It's about 9.15. I'm just going to sit here for 30 minutes and we're just going to look at each other in silence. You would feel how long 30 minutes is. For us humans in, in heaven, it's just, it's a nanosecond. But for us humans, you can imagine John of all of heaven with all of its singing and all of its worshiping for all the perpetual beauty that's happening that has been happening since eternity past in that moment because of the impending judgment, the entire thing shut down for 30 minutes. I find it fascinating. In Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, chapter 1, verse 7, be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is impending judgment. In Psalm 76 and verse 7, you are God or alone are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry from heaven? You pronounce judgment and the land feared and was quiet. You see, there comes a moment in time where all the noise of our opinion and our subjectivity will be silenced. Not because we'll do it intentionally. It will just happen like getting busted shoplifting. There truly was nothing to say. Nothing more to say. Your father is coming home at 545, which he did every day of my life. And I'm telling you, I was quiet at 2 o'clock and 318 and 412 and 530 and 531 and 532. And I've got just the silence. You feel it. Now, many of you say, hey, we're, we're believers in, in Jesus. Absolutely. We will face a different judgment, thankfully, than the, what is called the white throne judgment. However, we will stand before what is called the Bema Seat of Christ. We spent a, an entire collection on the Bema Seat of Christ, not whether our eternal destination is not, absolutely not in the balance. We are secure in Christ. But in that moment, we will we will be able to tell whether the work that we did on earth will just evaporate or it will be meaningful for the rest of eternity. I believe that even as believers in Jesus Christ, it would do us good to stop once in a while. Someone asked me just two weeks ago, what's your driving force? I said, well, I got a lot of them. But one of them is the beam of seat of Christ because I want to present before Christ something that's worthwhile. That means I don't spend my whole life on me. That means I don't spend my whole life on my house and my cars and my ambition and my plans. That we give it up because at one time it's healthy for us to think of that time where we're going to spend and be silenced in that moment. If you are here today. And truly, if you've only believed in your mind that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, but you've never in humility say, God, I am a sinner. I'm not going to dance around it. I'm not going to coat it with sugar coat it. I'm a sinner. I am in need, God, of your grace and your forgiveness. And I literally fall on my knees and I say, God, forgive me through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me on the cross and the power of Christ who came back from the dead, that you would live in me and ignite in me my spirit, which is dead. 
so that I can be born a second time, not just physically, but spiritually. I can be born spiritually and come alive in Christ. God, out of desperation, I need you and I ask you to come into my life. If you've never crossed that threshold, if you've never had that intersection with God, I must tell you out of deep responsibility to the word of God that you do face an impending judgment before God. And I know that's a sobering way to begin a time together. Unfortunately, the preachers in America have avoided this message and they think they're doing people a favor. On that day, you will understand that they were the worst enemies that you could ever have. On that day. It may be nice to be a nice guy now. But on my watch, when people stand before the that that great white throne. How would you feel if they locked eyes with you and said, you should have told me. You should have told me. So I say it, I, honestly, with the deepest, most realest love that a human being can say. That this judgment for us is already in place. You see, in those moments, do you remember at the book, end of book of, of Job? Oh, my goodness, there was a lot of noise in the book of Job, was there not? Oh, there were just opinions flowing uh, here until God showed up and said, let me set the absolute record straight. You see, it's the absolute part of it. It's the scale. It's the receipt. It's the bill. It's the manager at the shoplifting incident. It's the absolute that there is zero wiggle room. That's the thing that silences us. It's the absoluteness of it. And so you remember Job was just now he started to go off and he joined everybody's opinion and God showed up and in Job chapter 40 then Job answered the Lord in that absolute moment I am unworthy how can I reply to you I put my hand over my mouth I spoke once I have no answer I spoke twice he spoke a lot more than twice it's just an, uh, a, an, um, a, a saying uh, in, in that culture like well, I spoke a lot I spoke a lot but I will say no more in that moment. You see, the sobering thing is that it's not only we stand prejudgment in this, but I would even say if, if, you, if I've made you unhappy so far, let me make you a little unhappier. <laughs> and then we get to the good part, I promise. <laughs> Every single human being is cloaked is cloaked with judgment. Every single human being after Adam, as David said, I, we were born in sin. In sin did my mother conceive us. So in other words, we come into the world not as good people and then we blow. We come in under sin and no one can help it. See, it doesn't mean you're a bad person, I'm a better person or any of that. We all wear this cloak of contamination and we're silenced by that. Watch. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, right? So whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and shall not perish. But a couple of verses later, see, this is the thing you got to love about Jesus that he didn't sugarcoat it. He said, I got to tell you the whole story. And when I tell you the whole enchilada, then we can talk about grace because grace follows truth. If there is no truth, there is no grace. Grace means you didn't get what you deserved. Well, if I didn't know I deserved anything, then grace is, means absolutely nothing. Watch. 
Two verses after John 3.16, obviously John 3.18, whoever believes in Christ is not condemned, but whoever does not believe and stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son because we are cloaked with condemnation and contamination. In John, or sorry, in Psalm 143, verse 2, we see these words, no one living is righteous before you. Okay. So you may be sitting here thinking, okay, I'm trying to buy into that. Or you may buy into it, but you need to explain to someone else. So what? that just doesn't seem fair to me. What is the measuring stick that makes a person right or wrong? How is that? Because, see, here's one of the breakdowns of being an atheist. There, there, there are a number of them. But when you think of an atheist that says there, a God doesn't exist, if God, now we're going to go a little heavy here, so you've got to put your thinking cap on. If God doesn't exist, and he, there is nowhere in the picture, how in the world do we know what's right or wrong? How, where is the moral compass? If there is no, if there is no outside force setting a moral compass or a moral line, there is no line. So what's wrong for me is not wrong for you. What's wrong for you is not wrong for me, and anybody can make it up. My favorite apologist, his name is Ravi Zacharias. Many of you know his name. He is a tremendous thinker and a communicator and does uh, 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 talks and lectures at the highest levels of, of uh, education uh, institute, educational institutes. And he always does a Q&A, and they're brilliant. That's what I, I love to hear because, man, I could, I could read off of I could think hard enough probably and come up with some, some depth, you know, and then read it off. But, man, he's just all, off the cuff. It's just, it's just quite amazing. So he gave an example in one of these talks. He was, I believe he was at Harvard, and he was talking to the student body. And someone asked him a question. The questioner was a, an atheist, and he said, now, how do you know what's right or wrong? And, and of course, Robbie said, because you need a moral compass. But if you, let's say we don't have a moral compass. And he gave this example. He said, let's say I bring a child up here and I have a very sharp sword. And I'm going to, you know, impale this child, which is a terrible illustration. Would that be right or wrong? And the student said, it would not be wrong. He said, you could fill the room, gasp. Because intrinsically, even those that say there is no God, a whole room full of them says, whoa, that's not right. Well, what makes it not right? You see, in other words, we won't know what's wrong. We won't know that we are under this cloak of contamination. We won't know that unless there is a moral compass provided by an outside source that's not subjective. And I know that's heavy. Let me break it down for you a little bit. Watch this. Speaking of the Old Testament, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, the writer, Paul, says, I would not have known what sin was except through the Old Testament, the laws that God put forth, how to treat one another, how to act, how to, that murder is wrong and, and, and adultery is wrong, all the things that are, that are given to us in the law, the, the moral code that we have. I would not have known what coveting was. That means I want something of yours. I'm envy. I wouldn't even know what coveting envy really was if the law had not said, do not covet. 
And so when we look into the Bible as the moral compass, then we're silenced. Our opinion as to whether what is right or wrong is silenced if we want to be in tune with God. Of course, in this lifetime, again, opinions are noisy in our culture, are they not? In other words, if I take the magazine, I took the magazine. The guy probably didn't pay that much for the magazine anyway, and he's making a profit. So what does it matter? Because, see, I've set up my own moral compass. So when you subtract the moral compass, I get to do whatever I get to do. That means that if I'm a man and a woman and I want to have a physical relationship before marriage, which is prevalent not only in culture but in the church culture, then I get to make that up. I get to say, I, we're in love. It doesn't matter. There's, I, I, at that point, erasing the moral code. Whatever lifestyle I want, to, I can have an opinion but the problem is that it evades the moral, the absolute moral compass. If you truly want to follow God, if you truly want to be in rhythm with him, then you will say, God, it is not my noisy opinion that matters. It's not my opinion whether or not I should pray. It's not my opinion whether I should tithe or not. It's not my opinion whether I should have a relationship outside of marriage. It's not my opinion whether I should lift the magazine, should shoplift the magazine. It's not my opinion. It doesn't matter if I allow the word of God to silence my opinion. Oh, I know this is not popular. I know it's not. But there is a beauty in allowing a compass to navigate your life. There are tremendous benefits. It's like being out in the woods. It doesn't really matter what your opinion is as to which way to go when you're lost in a forest. There's a pine tree over there, and I love pine trees. I say we go this way. Well, the wind is blowing in our face this way, and I don't like the wind in my face, so I'm going to go this way. That's not how Bear Grylls does it, if you know who Bear Grylls is. He's the survivalist guy on TV. Have you ever seen them make a little compass out of a paper clip? They somehow, they, I don't know how they do it, but they put it on a leaf and water and it f floats around. Don't ever go to the woods with me. It'd be a disaster. <laughs> and when they finally figure out where north is and based on north, now their navigational direction, there is a reward. We think so often, oh, God is not letting me do this. And every single time we could sit here all afternoon, pick a topic. When we go outside God's moral navigation, it will always mean disaster, always. And it will never be rewarded, even in, in the way we're wired. Not he's going to pat us on the back, but man, how many times, I don't know about you, but I have had my opinion on how things should go. And at the end of that row, I'm like, this is awful. This does not feel right. It's because of the way God wired us. When those times when we silence our own opinion and say, God, then I am going to move in this direction. Man, doesn't it feel like you're in rhythm? There's a reason for that. Watch Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know whatever 
the law says. It says to those who who are under the law. So that every mouth may be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of sin. Here's what I'm not saying today. That if we obey the Bible and all its rules and regulations, we can be right with God. What Paul is saying in these very confusing verses, often he says, you cannot become right with God by observing all the law. But what the law does for us is it points out that we are not right, cannot be right, so we need a better solution. Is there anyone, after 29 minutes of all of this, ready for some good news? <laughs> and I thank God, Marge, he's getting to some good news. You see, the Bible points out our need. That's the point. The Bible isn't saying you better obey every single thing to be right with God. The Bible is saying you can't on your own do anything. The Bible points out the cloak of condemnation. These might be the best words that you've ever Heard in your life. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. Now, if you ever wanted to understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, or if you ever wanted to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, in my opinion, this is the best place. Now, there are beautiful passages like John 3.16 that give us, wow, that, but this is a one-stop shop buffet for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you came today and you think, man, what is this thing all about? Here it is. These opening words should move us after everything I've just said, the pending judgment, the absolute judgment, the cloak of contamination, the law which points out the moral code, which points out our failures and our inability. So here it is, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, apart from code, apart from rules, apart from regulation, has been known to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, if you're sitting there and thinking, okay, then what is it? If the law only points out my condemnation and tells me all the things that I wouldn't have even known what sin is unless it points it out, now God's saying there is a way to be right with me apart from all these codes and regulations. This righteousness, here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. All of us are cloaked with condemnation for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, none of us can please him. But now we are justified freely by his grace. It didn't cost us a dime. It cost him everything. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. 
You see, God presented Christ, his son, as a sacrifice of atonement. We don't use that word. That means at one We were enemies of God. We were separated from God. There was a chasm between humanity and divinity. At one means now that is bridged. In other words, we are now at one. The redemption that came by Jesus Christ, God presented Christ, his son, as a sacrifice of at one atonement, through faith in his blood, that the perfect blood of Jesus Christ was powerful enough to forgive everything. He did this to to um, demonstrate his justice. In other words, he had to penalize the sin, otherwise he would not have been a perfect judge. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he knew he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished had he just like, okay, whatever. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Okay, are you ready? Watch this. Silenced. Where then is boasting? It is silenced. You see, it's excluded. You see, here's the deal. Religion has a voice of self-claim that I obeyed enough, I crawled on my knees enough, I did enough. Most people that I talk to about eternity, they answer me by saying, I'm a good person. I say, good enough? Yes, I am. Because we do a comparison as human beings, uh, uh, me against Saddam Hussein, me against Hitler's of the world, and comparatively, I feel like as a human being that I'm a better person. God says, no, 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 no. That's not the measuring skill. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, whether you think you're a good person, because why? You can, you're cloaked with the contamination of Adam. You cannot escape it. And what God is saying, there is only one single way to escape it, and that is through the righteousness that comes through Christ by faith in the blood of Jesus who shed his blood for every single human being. And when that happens, guess what? You know, let me tell you how I got to heaven. I am silenced by the grace of God. There's nothing that I can say. There's not one ounce. There's no little teeny micro mini unit of Steve in the entire equation. Yeah, but I, nope, God shut. Nope, but nope, nothing. No one will stand before God with an ounce with an ounce of credit. And trust me, when we stand before the Lamb of God in that moment, I know it's hard to imagine. When we stand in front of the Lamb of God, because see, right now we have the proclivity, even as believers, to say, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I did. You know, I know. I wrestle with it. But when we stand before the Lamb of God, every knee will bow. And every boastful tongue will be silenced. See, there's a beautiful thing in silence. There's a beautiful thing in silence. And I believe that we should more often, I know I should, silence ourselves to absorb the grace of God. Just sit before God and just think of the impending judgment 
that we won't face because of Christ. Just to sit in silence and then allow that grace to absorb. That's why I love that song. I think we might be singing it here in a minute. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. In other words, that surveying sometimes in a fast culture has been a lost art. When I survey, when I hover, when I meditate. And then what happens is that when you meditate long enough in silence on the cross of Christ and what it means that we have no boasting, then what happens is, guess what? Then after that you can't be silent. So there is this act of silence so that you won't be silent. Is that weird? There is an act of silence. There's a, there's a shutdown for appreciation so that you can appreciate it more. And when you do it, watch this. In Psalm 39, verse 3, my heart grew hot within me as I meditated. See, my, I'm meditating when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Oh, it's, it's in that moment that your heart burns within you. The fire burned. Watch, big capitals I put there for us. Then I spoke with my tongue. Then I said something. But if we don't meditate first, we'll just kind of do it by rote. It requires of us as followers of Jesus Christ to zip it, Skippy, at times. And to say, oh, God, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to I'm going to think about the impending judgment upon the world. Oh, I'm silenced by that. I'm going to silence myself. The word of God, the law silences me and I have no opinion about what the moral code is. But now, God, no one can boast. I'm going to silence myself and I'm going to just meditate and hover. And then I will speak and then we'll have a deeper appreciation for what God has done. You know the, the, these words from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon wrote, there's a time for everything. And he goes through a list. And one of those things on the list, a season for every activity in heaven, a time to be silent and a time to speak. And I think that we need both. That we need both. It's why Psalm 30 verse 11 says these words. God, for those of you that have allowed Christ to cross the threshold of your life, God, you turned my wailing into dancing, my condemnation into hope. You removed my sackcloth, which was this material that they wore when they were grieving. And you've clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you, God, and not be silent any longer. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. So at five colon four five, my father arrived at home. I was paler then than I was in the drugstore. My heart was beating. You know how it rolls. I could hear his car drive up. That driver's door, it never seemed louder when he shut it. I think somebody put reverb on it. Many opinions had been running through my mind. Many, the, uh, the noise. Okay, if I ran away from home, I don't drive, but I could still. 
If I burned the house down, <laughs> he'd be more concerned about that than the shoplifting probably. You know, a lot of crazy things go through your head. And then mom does what most moms do. Hey, Charlie, why don't you go speak to your son? He's got something to tell you. I'm like, oh, great, now i got to tell him. (laughs) And I know, see, there's a moral compass named my mom that's going to not allow me to shade the truth, so I might as well just say it. I'll never forget it. Obviously, I'm 56. He stepped down to me. And I thought, oh, here it comes. He stepped closer to me. And he put his hand right on my shoulder. He said, I can see it in your eyes how you feel. You're not going to do it again, are you? And I said, no, sir, I won't. And then he walked away. And then I went, oh, yeah. (laughs) Actually, I didn't say anything. I was silenced by his grace, which by definition is I didn't get what I deserved. the beauty of God's grace. It silences our heart, does it not? So we're going to do that right now. We're going to silence our hearts. We're just going to pray. I'm going to allow you some time. The band is going to come up. But I'm going to allow you some time to to hover before we close in worship today because I think it's important that you do it privately but you do it collectively. Just going to allow you some private, quiet time where you're seated. And uh, I'm going to uh, allow you just to hover on the grace of God that you, none of us, get what we deserve. And then there's a season to be silent and there's a season to sing. And we'll follow that by worship. After we are quiet before God, you'll hear some music come in and then you'll know we're preparing to worship. So I invite you now to hover, to hover around the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father, I hope that you can hear the silence of our heart today, God. It's representative of our appreciation and our thankfulness. God, we sang earlier, may we never lose our wonder. We sang earlier, God, that your love, you fascinate us. We're truly in tune, God, with your moral compass and truly in tune, God, with the cloak that we once wore. A cloak of condemnation, a cloak of sin, a cloak of, that, seems in, that seemed inescapable. A cloak that many people tried to rid themselves of through religion. A great effort, God then you come to us and you say there is a righteousness there is a way to be at one with you God apart from moral effort it comes through the grace of Jesus and we receive God what we do not deserve we receive God more grace and love and mercy and compassion than we could have ever dreamed of. And for that reason, God, we hover. We survey the wondrous, wondrous, wondrous instrument of mercy called the cross. Thank you, Father. We worship you with all of our heart because of Jesus. Jesus.